Hi, Sherry. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me, especially at this time of year. It's a holiday season. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Time has like flown by so much for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This whole year has just been a roller coaster. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm really excited to get you on here um, mm -hmm. to talk about some of the developments. But firstly, for anyone that's not familiar with Sherry, um, where have you been? <laughs> where have I been? <laughs> like uh, geographically. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, uh... Yeah, look, I, I was going to do a little intro for you, um, mm -hmm. but I realize I'm kind of terrible. So I'm just going to say Sherry. For anyone that isn't familiar, is a music tech journalist, founder of Water and Music, which is a newsletter as well as a successful podcast, and has a number of pieces that have been featured in Billboard, Forbes, Rolling Stone, and a number of other places. So that is my very short intro. But tell us about yourself. Tell us what you've been doing. Tell us what you do right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the intro kind of sums it up in terms of what I do. So yeah, I'm a freelance writer. Um, I write for a lot of third-party publications, and I also have my own newsletter um, and podcast that is monetized on Patreon. So there's a whole like membership um, around the newsletter and podcast as well. And um, you're you're asking where I've been. So uh, as part of my job, I do travel a lot. So I've been to an average of around one conference or like speaking event per month this year. I think like slightly over one. Um, highlights this year have been uh, India is definitely a highlight. I was there for two weeks uh, in Mumbai specifically in late August and early September. Um, I've been to Europe a bunch this year. So I was in, um, I was, I spoke to the, I spoke to some music business students at Berkeley's Valencia campus um, in Valencia, Spain. And I uh, was also in Scotland most recently, um, speaking at a conference in Edinburgh, and I've traveled a bunch around the U.S. So I've been to like Los Angeles, obviously for music, and um, as well as Nashville, uh, been to Atlanta, that was last year, um, and uh, yeah, and a bunch of other cities, Boston as well in this fall. So yeah, lo lots of traveling. Awesome. And uh, I just had to mute, unmute my microphone there for a second. Uh, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I do apologize for that delay. There's a little mm -hmm. bit of construction no going on upstairs, which is always the way when we decide to go live. So, um, <laughs> I definitely understand. So <laughs> Excellent. So, um, yeah, look, I, I really want to pick your brain and get your opinion on Obviously, very well traveled this year, and you've obviously seen ver different variations of how the industry can work in different countries and things like that. But I know your main focus is on the tech side. Um, mm -hmm. What are some developments or some changes you've seen this year that have got you really excited? Um, it got me very excited. So let's see. Uh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, so... I spend a lot of my time reading up on not even like music news, just like tech news and seeing what, you know, what the latest technologies are that are coming up that people in like the general tech and venture capital worlds are excited about, like even before it arrives to music. Um, and one theme that really stood out to me this year that uh, kind of started last year too is um, people, uh, people going past people going beyond hype and actually starting to think in like practical terms around a lot of emerging tech for instance um 
I think uh, like there's very little conversation about blockchain this year. Uh, people are like intentionally avoiding saying the word like at conferences because they're like, there's no use in talking about this until we actually have something useful, which I find very amusing. Um, and then to get to what I'm, what I'm excited about, a similar thing has happened in terms of getting past the hype around VR and AR and like virtual mixed reality products and um, seeing where where there's actually opportunity to like build a sustainable business and not just a cool product. Um, that said, I think there's a new um, vocabulary emerging around these virtual concerts that are happening that don't necessarily require you to, you know, wear a virtual reality headset to put on. They can happen in a game. So I think like the thing that really clicked for people in terms of understanding the value of VR was actually Marshmallow's Fortnite concert, mm. which was not a virtual reality concert at all. You could just watch it on your screen or your phone, um, but it was live streamed in a virtual environment um, that was far from your traditional concert venue, right? So I think that got that definitely clicked for a lot of people and has, I guess, has spurred a lot more um, additional development in that space. Like, how do we partner with more gaming companies or just any other company that uh, creates this experience for users to like build their own environment? Like Minecraft built, uh, like has hosted two of its own festivals at least. Um, which were very like DIY in terms of how the, even like the venues were built, um, let alone how like the fans could interact with artists too. So like, so to have like really concrete proof of concept around that this year was, was very exciting to me. Um, and let's see what else. So this isn't really something that's, uh, let's see. So one thing that I, I guess I'm actually not as excited about and i am just starting to see like a bit more development around is um the fact that the dominant streaming model is actually super homogenous so just one one i was like making a list of trends before this of like what i think are some of those most important trends of this year in music tech and one is like general consolidation of streaming services so um like i guess the biggest one in the us would be sirius xm acquiring pandora yeah. Um, which Pandora was like an early mover and was a leader in streaming for a while, but it like very quickly fell behind as the likes of Spotify and then more recently Apple, et cetera, um, kept coming to the forefront. Um, but then, so aside from that, you have the landscape where um, basically the only, the, the underlying messaging is that the only way for a modern consumer to like pay for music in a way that's like convenient and valuable is just to pay like a monthly subscription that doesn't actually go directly to the artist. It goes to like an intermediary tech company and it's a very like utilitarian, um, very, uh, yeah, very, very utilitarian uh, ex experience that's actually, yeah, like more detached from the artist. And so only recently have I started to see um, people trying to build or promote experiences, I guess that live on top of that, but. Uh, encourage for interaction between artists and fans. So, um, for instance, within the last couple of months, you have um, like all these celebrities giving out phone numbers. Um, you may know about this, right? Like, yeah. uh, I think it started with Ashton Kutcher. He did it last year. Uh, he was like, "Hey guys, uh, I'm going to spend more time on my phone. Like, everyone text me." Um, and then I was like, "I've I've been pleasantly surprised at how many more like artists in particular have done that this year." And all of that like mostly points back to this startup called Community. Um, that is like trying to build a better, I guess, text-based CRM for artists to, you know, reach fans more directly. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more activity around that. So I'm just, that's something I'm excited about in general is like 
more experimentation with alternative models for fans discovering or um, becoming, you know, fostering deeper connections with artists aside, outside of the very um, otherwise homogenous streaming environment, like Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Deezer, Tidal, even SoundCloud, they're like increasingly looking the same in terms of the types of playlists that they offer. Like uh, every service has their equivalent of Discover Weekly, right? And so, uh, so these services have even more of a challenge in terms of how to differentiate. Um, so yeah, whether, whether it comes from those like dominant streaming companies right now or from new startups coming up, uh, imagining new consumption experiences that are more interesting and more diverse, um, that's what I'm excited to see for 2020 or what I hope to see, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's so funny. The first time I heard, you know, here's my here's my number, here's my cell. I went, okay, that's not mm -hmm, their mm -hmm. real cell number that they're walking around with every day. Of course. <clears throat> but if yeah. you get a message that, you know, is personalized and you have them saved in your phone, I mean, Gary B as an example as well. I mean, yeah, you know, not necessarily directly in the music industry, but definitely got a finger on the pulse in pretty much every industry. He goes, hey, text me and I'll text you back. And people mm. have Gary Vaynerchuk saved in their phone and they're hanging out with their friends and there's a text that says Gary. And they're like, oh, I just got a text from Gary. You know, I, I better check this, see what it is. It's it's mind blowing how well it is working. And it's so true. I mean, I've changed my cell number twice in my lifetime. And once was because I moved to another country, mm -hmm, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very similar to email. People rarely change their main personal email address. Yes, when they change companies, they get a different work email, but th they carry that with them. And it's really the same with a cell number. So um, to be able to capture people's cell numbers and be able to directly message them anytime, wherever they are, I mean, it, even over email, this is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I um, I also definitely relate it in my head to the like very I guess in hindsight amusing concept of like email being the next hot thing like people building products around newsletters that are like getting venture capital funding. Um, yeah, so in, in general, I think this is zooming out more to like social media in general. There's more of a turn towards um, more like niche social networks and like more focusing on tribes, like even Facebook, the biggest, you know, most mass market social network in the world right now is, um, is starting to invest more in groups. Like I've seen billboards around, uh, or I've seen a lot of billboards around New York for like Facebook groups, um, to the point where like groups, to, to the point where not only are groups like the main component of a lot of people's social feeds now, but like groups actually just like take precedent over the concept of a feed in general, right? Like why would mm. you want a feed when you're in all these groups that are much more targeted and have their, I guess the, their own um, niche specific feeds. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the music industry is definitely, or artists in particular are still trying to figure out what that looks like in, in a world where they're very much conditioned to just upload to streaming platforms, try to um, maximize audience reach from the outset and instead of, cultivating these, uh, these niches. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. Uh, it's exciting times. I mean, it's still early stages. Um, 
but I'm excited to see what happens with it next and how people use it because mm-hmm. uh, obviously there's so much more information that is built into that message. I mean, if you're sending iMessages to people, it's more than just text that's going directly to that number. There's a lot attached to that, such as mm-hmm. location and things like that. So uh, while it may be scary to some people, it, it's kind of exciting the way that you can target this moving forward as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know a lot of people are like using community already to. Um, so yeah, here's the thing. This is, I guess, uh, just like a last comment on the community concept, right? Of like yeah. texting people directly. So uh, just as like a quasi experimental thing, I've signed up for a bunch of artists, um, like phone numbers. And um, I've signed up actually for someone uh, who uses community like every day and like messages people every day who's actually working at one of Gary Vee's companies. So I think it's very much like in a similar ethos. Um, but he's the only person I hear from who I've signed up for. Um, every other artist, I like got an initial welcome email from them being like, hey, thanks for signing up, like add your other info. And maybe because like they don't have an album coming out or they're not on tour or anything, um, I just haven't gotten a message from them. Um, so like it, it raised the question of like, why, okay. As an example, um, there's a artist named Do- Do- Doja Cat, who's like coming up in kind of like the hip hop rap R&B world. Yep. Um, quite big. I signed up for her number uh, a couple of months ago and I've literally not gotten nothing from her, even wow. though I feel like she's like a really big artist and she does have a lot going on. Like she has all these like videos coming up or like media appearances. Um, but she's still or her team still goes to Instagram to post about that, or they still go to Facebook or Twitter, not to community. So that raises the right. question of like, like what, what really is the purpose of this? Or like, are which types of artists are really using this? And for those who've signed up but aren't using it, why not? Is it a very just like seasonal or time sensitive thing and that you only wanna text people if you're going to be in their specific city um, and not for general like uh, promotion the way you would on an open social platform like Instagram. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I feel like it really shouldn't be one-sided. I would not like to subscribe. Mm. I, I don't, I don't mm. want to say subscribe, but technically it is. I don't want to mm. subscribe to my favorite artists and just get every single day them sending me a link to a track from their catalog or, or whatever. I of course, love of course. some engagement yeah. where they go, they yeah. say to you, hey, you know, happy holidays, got got any fun plans for the holidays? And then they mm-hmm. randomly choose people and respond to them. I think that mm-hmm. would create so much more value. And like you said, the whole community system there, a community is not one person going up and talking at everyone. Yes. Right? So, yes. Exactly. exactly. I think that's the one like weird thing with the naming too, because the, the texting mechanism, exactly. It's not like fostering a, like a horizontal community where everyone who signs up can like, talk to each other also in some kind of forum. It is still very, it can be bi-directional, but it's like one to one in terms of the nature of the interaction. Um, like you you could have signed up for Doja Cat's number and I wouldn't have not known, right? And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's actually quite like, it, it's quite individualized of an experience for now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's get back into our recap of 2019. So we were just talking about community, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's been a number of other tools that have come out that we've, we've I know that we've both actually had a chance to experiment with as well. Um, but 
I want to know your opinion on what you think could be next with regards to voice. And mm. yeah, I know that this is. I'm a, glad you brought that up because that actually, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's broad, but um, so I guess uh, so for those who are listening, in case you're interested, slash like aren't subscribed already, um, I have a newsletter coming out tomorrow about uh, a bunch of different predictions that were made about the music industry this year that I think flopped. Um, I had written a piece about the, like in this format back in 2016, and I decided to like revisit it again this year. Um, and one that I think flopped or like very much, uh, I guess did not meet expectations is the area of voice because, okay, there's a lot of hype at the end of 2018, um, and a lot of like concrete data published around how many smart speakers are being sold. Like, um, you know, sales of Amazon Echo have gone through the roof and, you know, every major tech company has essentially entered the field with their own device, like Google Home. Um, Sonos is quite active in this space. Apple HomePod, not as much, but they're still there, you know, so th there are a lot of options out there. And um, speaking of, you know, we're talking during the holidays, it was like one of the biggest holiday gifts, um, understandably. And then uh, also, I think one of the top use cases for smart speakers is to listen to music. It's like one of the top three, along with just asking about the weather and asking about um, the news of the day. And so I think a lot of people in music looked at that and said, okay, we really need to pay attention to this. This is really going to drive less streams for us. Um, this is just gonna change the way music is consumed, maybe even the way it's created or the way it's marketed in terms of you know campaigns that people have to come up with. Um, but I really did not see any of that this year. So thinking about like voice and music campaigns, you'll see like the occasional, um, you know, the occasional campaign for Amazon Echo devices that feature an artist who's, I guess, acting as an ambassador for the brand being like, you know, Alexa, listen to Anderson Peck. Um, he advertised Alexa quite a lot this year um, or Alexa, listen to Khalid or something like that. And Amazon Music, they have their, you know, artist picks of the week or of the month or something. So they do have these partnerships, but um, they really didn't make as much of a splash as maybe people thought they would. I just didn't gain as much buzz. And um, at some point people were thinking about like voice SEO. So, you know, how do you optimize the title of your song or um, how do you optimize even like the song itself for voice environment? Um, nothing has really come out of that. Um, if, if anything, I think voice has actually had an impact on genres that at least in industry conversations are considered more like fringe or not really at the center. So. Like, okay, I think the biggest, like, voice music story of the year is probably Baby Shark. Uh, like, there are tons of videos out there around people requesting, um, about, like, videos of kids requesting Baby Shark, and it's, like, dancing like crazy next to their smart speaker, right? Um, that's that's not really, like, a mainstream label story, but it is, like, a big music industry story. Um, I think classical music has been significantly impacted by voice, but people don't really talk about that. Um, at least in the mainstream conversation. So uh, yeah, in terms of what's next, uh, interestingly, I see a lot of people um, combining, I think for this reason about like a relative lack of development, combining their voice strategy with their podcast strategy. So um, there have been some interesting, more experimental campaigns this year. Um, for instance, Interscope Records uh, released this like micro podcast series with one of their artists and their label named K-Flay. Um, and it's, it was produced by this um, 
by this person who's like specializing in making music experiences for voice. And they're called micro podcasts because they're only like five to 10 minutes or, or shorter. They're just K-Flight, you know, giving an update from her studio or on tour or wherever she is. Um, and it's optimized for voice in that there's like a specific Alexa skill or whatever other skill on another device that can trigger that. Um, and, but it is a podcast. It's not, to me, it's, to me, that's a podcast play even more than a voice play. Um, but they're integrating voice just because maybe it makes sense to integrate, you know, a spoken format with people actually speaking to, to trigger the experience. So I think we'll see a lot of more of those campaigns next year in terms of combining um, voice strategy with podcast strategy in the context of music. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not so sure only because a lot of the things that I predicted or others predicted might have happened just have not come up really. What would you like to talk about next? I feel like I'm just, I could just throw topics at you all day, but I'd love to know where would you like to take this conversation? Sure. Uh, yeah. So what else? Uh, okay. I mentioned streaming consolidation um, earlier and there's definitely a lot of consolidation, but also like interestingly, just more, still more building activity in the world of distribution. Um, and I think that was a big story this year in terms of, uh, let's see, Spotify attempting distribution, direct distribution, mm. but then shutting that down because they realized that was, that was not um, their forte. Um, STEM, a uh, pretty popular distribution platform going from open to um, closed to a lot more curated and um, in the process, essentially booting off of, like the majority of their artists and the way that was communicated and executed drew a lot of criticism, um, which I think is interesting. But I think they also, think from the company's perspective, they, I think, have set a precedent or have kind of foreseen what is going to happen in distribution um because also distribution is a very low margin business it's like really hard to make money unless you have the scale of a cd baby or a tune core district kid for example um and so how so how do you solve that you either start um charging artists more um which maybe artists don't want or you charge artists more but also um provide a lot more hands-on service so it's essentially like STEM is going the route of being a label services company almost in terms of like the resources they're providing. Um, and which I think, I think in, in the case of the people who are involved in that kind of arrangement, it's better for everyone. Like the company hopefully can be more sustainable and then the artists hopefully get better customer service and um, better, you know, direct help. But um yeah. Yeah, but so there's just like the distribution landscape is super saturated. I expect even more consolidation um, going into 2020, um, in part because all of these platforms are, all of these, sorry, all of these distribution tools are basically the same to the point where um, a lot of, a lot of it's just competing on price to the, like some of them are even offering it for free. Like what is the business model of free distribution that is still um, an open question. Um, so that I'm very interested in following um, in the future, I think there isn't a reason. So I, I, I think at some point Spotify would want to get involved with this somehow, or it, I think it just totally makes sense if you're thinking from the company's perspective to be able to handle all parts of the, um, 
I guess of the creation, marketing, and distribution process uh, in music or entertainment in general to have that all in house. Um, a lot of people like compare Spotify's future and maybe Netflix's present in terms of Netflix, you know, um, truly owning that whole process around a lot of original content. So I think just now the timing isn't good in part because the norms around distribution um, definitely cater more to third parties and to not like Spotify's tool would have just made it another SoundCloud, which I don't yeah. think artists wanted. Um, they wanted like better tools for understanding what happens once their music is is on all platforms and it's like they don't want ex in the aggregate they don't want exclusivity um so yeah that'll be an interesting trend to follow i don't know if you have any uh thoughts on that yeah look it's um i've just been sitting back and watching and um it, it feels like a lot of things that people are doing now it's an experiment they do it to see um you know what they they will get to benefit from making these changes. So like Spotify, oh, if we let artists upload directly, uh, you know, what maybe we'll have more control over this, we'll have more input, uh, but it turns out it just turned into a lot more work for them from my understanding mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, yeah. you know, the, the decision with STEM, for me, it makes sense. Yes, it, it's harsh for a lot of artists that go, oh, now I've got to find a new home for my music, but, if you are staying with them, they're now more invested in your music because they're making a little bit more of a margin. Uh, it's in their best interest to get that song and put it in front of editorial if they believe in it that much. So I can see the benefits for the artists that did remain and were given an offer, but also for the other artists. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a nice way of saying, you're probably not gonna get anything else out of us other than us putting your music on all the DSPs mm -hmm. and in all the stores. Mm -hmm. So you're better off going to a CD baby or a distro kid who's probably going to give you a better deal uh, and they serve independent artists, that's what they do. So mm -hmm. yeah, I've, I've enjoyed sitting back and watching it. I got access to Spotify's upload feature, uploaded a few releases. I'm sad to see it go, to be honest because I really like the whole process and being able to preview and see every detail, how it was going to look in Spotify before the song mm -hmm. went live. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just, for me, it was really beneficial. I mean, I don't feel that there was any extra special treatment because I uploaded directly to them. Definitely not. I just liked how clean the process was. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, I can understand why every DSP doesn't do that because that would be a lot of work for the artists as well. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. And also in like the current norms of distribution, um, yes, like you, you definitely get a certain kind of like preview or experience with direct uplink, uploading to Spotify that, that you just not get through third party. Yeah. But by basically the nature of the industry today and by the demands of where just fans are and where fans want to see artist music, uh, I don't know if like this is consistent with your experience too, but like I've heard that you'd have to upload to Spotify directly, um, and then still use another distributor to distribute everywhere else. So it, yeah. it just adds another. It's just not as streamlined of a process, arguably. It just adds another step, um, another party that maybe you don't have as much control over. Um, so from the artist perspective, it can also just be uh, more tedious. And I, from what I've heard too. Um, with, I talked with some like managers who were involved in this too. Like I think what a lot of artists expected through the direct upload tool was also um, more access to Spotify's team 
So like, oh, by uploading directly through Spotify, um, I would somehow like be prioritized for playlist placement or something, mm. or I would be able to get direct feedback from them. And um, from my understanding, that didn't really happen. Or that there are a lot of artists who like expected that and like it wasn't any more or less than what they would have gotten anyway from um, like cold emailing or using one of their Google forms or something. So I think it, it just, uh, yeah, added burden for some artists, fell short of expectations in terms of access and the actual added value. Um, and yeah, also from, of course, from Spotify's and uh, they have to just do like so much more accounting. They basically have to be SoundCloud without all the problems SoundCloud had um, mm. around like licensing, royalty accounting, et cetera, which I don't think they want to get into right now. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add on to what you said, it it's correct. In my experience, there was no extra special treatment with regards to reaching editorial potentially. Uh, what you would do is you would submit the song and then you would still log out and you would go into Spotify for artists and do the mm -hmm. submission the normal way anyway. So there was no special mm -hmm. treatment. Okay. It would have been unfair as well because they were only doing the beta sure. testing in the US, I believe. So Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Know, but only like, like a handful, like a couple hundred artists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And um also what would happen is you would upload the song, it would be it would be set with the release date. You would be able to get the ISRC for anyone that doesn't know international standard recording code. And then you could take that and go to your distributor and upload the song to all stores and just uncheck Spotify. And that would be okay. the way around it. So yeah, it's an, it's an okay. extra step in the process. Uh, I was happy to do it because I wanted to do it for my own curiosity and to see mm -hmm. if there were any benefits as such. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I will just say that the process was, it flowed very nicely. And what I mm -hmm. liked is they had some little Spotify touches in there, which you'd expect. So they would remind you about things, which they're now reminding you in Spotify for artists. So mm -hmm. after you submitted the song and you had uploaded it, you would get an email a few days later. Hey, you haven't submitted it yet. Uh, make sure you submit at least seven days before release day if you want to have your song go into release radar for all of your followers and to make right. sure that editorial have enough time to potentially listen and consider for placement if it fits. So though, that was a nice touch. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to leave it that late, but I wanted to see what they would do. And surely enough, they sent out a nice little reminder email, which um, I guess any distributors that are watching, that would not be that hard to automate. And that would be a nice touch for your artists. And, mm. you know, can only benefit everyone. I mean, if, if an artist distributes their music with CD Baby and they forget to submit in Spotify for artists and CD Baby send them a reminder, how cool if that song gets some editorial features, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for an automated email reminder because they forgot. Interesting. Yeah, that, 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 that definitely seems doable. And I guess... Yeah, it, it, Spotify is really the only platform that has like that regimented of a schedule. Whereas like with, with Apple Music or other competitors, it's like slightly, it's, it's, it's not as formalized. Like the Spotify process is like relatively more transparent and more, and more formalized. So yeah, that, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, definitely. So we've touched on voice, we've touched on distribution. I wanna ask you about TikTok. Okay. That was also on my list. That was going to be the next thing, actually. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, look, um, I guess 
what's your opinion uh, from the user side and where do you see them moving to next? Because I've heard a lot of rumors and I'm not sure what to believe and what not, but it seems like they're really branching out to be more than just a social video app. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, let's see where to start. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think TikTok, um, think, think, so thinking more historically, uh, a couple years ago now when um, Twitter shut down Vine. So Vine used to be like the darling of the music and entertainment industries because like that's where Shawn Mendes got discovered and a lot of other artists and um, that's where a lot of songs could go viral. And then Twitter acquired it and then it like didn't really develop or innovate that much and it shut down. And I think like there was a year, two years of period where people were like searching for something to fill that gap. Like what's the next? huge vehicle for um, for making music or other like video or the kinds of content go super viral. What's the next platform for like launching stars? Um, I feel like TikTok has like for sure filled that um, filled that gap. Absolutely. And um, you, you asked about the users specifically, like what about the users? Yeah, just um, your opinion on the actual user experience. I mean, for me, it's just a fun app to look at goofy yeah. videos and get entertainment. Um, but yeah. I found other people look at it for, you know, inspirational messages. Um, some people actually use I it see. to discover yes. music. It's crazy. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I guess that's one interesting part about TikTok, and I think it was true with Vine and with a lot of these platforms in general. Um, well, one, so like the way that the main feed is curated um, is like not dependent at all on how many followers a user already has or like on their social graph. Um, it's just like things that I guess TikTok might like think that you find funny. It's just like a, it's a very different logic of curation on, on like the homepage that I think people are still trying to understand. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because like music, I think it's struck such a chord in the music industry because it really like would not exist without music. Like these videos need to have some kind of music or sound um, to really be enjoyable. Um, so that's an interesting aspect of the user experience. And um, yeah, I mean, I so I recently learned I think the Washington Post has a really good TikTok account too, and I don't think they're trying to reach the same people that like all these uh, like dancers on TikTok are trying to reach, right? It's like very specific, but um, it's just, so. and for, for someone like them, I think it's just like an, a new interesting, like creative medium to like, you know, show people what's going on behind the scenes in the newsroom um, or to communicate certain ideas or like current events. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting how there are all these different scenes that even it's like, uh, so th this already exists on Instagram in terms of these communities existing, but the way TikTok works, it's like actually harder to find those, mm -hmm. harder to discover those or even more siloed from each other. Um, so there's that. In terms of what's gonna happen next, so, um, okay, to, to zoom out a little bit. Uh, okay, naturally Spotify dominates a lot of the streaming conversation or the music tech conversation, right? Um, and they're the global market leader in terms of streaming subscriptions and like, you know, Apple, Amazon, YouTube, um, TikTok, not really, but like there are all these other streaming services owned by like tech conglomerates that are competing with Spotify. And Spotify is actually like the exception. It's just like Spotify, Tile and SoundCloud 
that are independent and every other streaming service that is like coming up now that really like matters and is getting users is owned by a tech company that has like a ton of marketing money to pour into it that has all these other revenue streams um uh that that, that they can lean on aside from music and um tiktok is one example of this so tiktok is owned by ByteDance, which is a huge tech conglomerate in china with like um tens of thousands of employees and uh and I guess ByteDance just recently launched a new like audio-based streaming service, music streaming service that they're testing, um, which I think will end up, I, okay, this actually, sorry, I'm thinking out loud. This is connected to my point earlier about all streaming services looking the same. So if, if you look at the early screenshots of ByteDance's music streaming app called Rezo, um, it basically looks the same as Spotify. Like like on the homepage, you have like certain playlists like personalized for you. And then there's like hip hop playlist, uh, mood playlist, genre playlist, et cetera. It's like really the same thing, um, which was kind of disappointing. But the one thing that I think they might, they may be working on that will be the main, dif the main differentiator is some kind of integration with TikTok. So TikTok has integration already with Apple Music. I think um, if you're a subscriber, any yeah. song that's on Apple Music, right? That comes up, you can, stream it directly, which is great. Um, but to, uh, yeah, but, but, but for ByteDance to control that whole experience on its own platform um, will be a lot more interesting, especially because it is a Chinese company. So the types of songs that they'll have available, let alone um, promote, uh, I think could look very different. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure how that works because TikTok, so TikTok's Chinese version, Douyin, is like, they're very separate apps um very separate like kinds of behaviors just based on where the user base is located um so very different types of content that surface up and become popular um so that's kind of an unanswered question in terms of how a music streaming integration would look different in china um versus in the us but yeah i think in general i think every streaming company knows that they have to be better at social like they have to be better at social integrations. They have to, speaking of, you know, fostering deeper artist fan connections, um, just offer more of the added value now that everything is basically the same and is so homogenous now. Um, and ByteDance is in a particularly interesting position to do, to do that given the popularity of TikTok. And um, we can talk about this too, about the uh, popularity of like more social music experiences in Asia in general mm. and how that drives a lot of revenue um for by dance for companies like Tencent as well in China um and how that how that will influence the way the streaming landscape there looks different from what we've seen here yeah yeah it's um I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that um as you said mm -hmm. because obviously it is very different to what we see here in the U.S. I mean as far as what I see, it's um, it's usually people doing a funny stunt or uh, playing a practical joke on somebody or, uh, you know, sometimes it's tutorials, makeup, beauty, things like that as well. Yep. And, and it's set to music. But I feel like it would be very different, as you said, uh, in Asia to, to be very broad. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know sort of what videos people are spending a lot of their time with and and what what they look for over there because i feel like it's going to be a lot different to what we have and um what we consume here in the us mm. yeah so i've only looked a little bit on the doing app in china but um my impression is that 
I, I think, okay, uh, this is like, to zoom out again, this is like a general trend that I think happens with a lot of platforms um, in the US especially and in Western markets. So, okay, if we go all the way back to YouTube. So YouTube was founded in like 2000s. Um, the top, uh, like most subscribed and most viewed channels for a really long time were just like completely DIY um, comedians or people giving tutorials or something. Like Ryan Higa, who's like, uh, Japanese like comedian from Hawaii was like the, the most subscribed, um, like higher than PewDiePie for a really long time, for like a couple years. Um, but then now if you look at the top subscribed channels, it's all like extremely uh, well-produced, like major label content, basically. Like all the highest viewed videos are uh, like Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande music videos, right? It's like very little DIY content, if any, on any given day. Um, Instagram kind of followed a similar route where yes, you do have a lot of like DIY accounts, but now it's like definitely overtaken by celebrities, overtaken by a lot of brands that are using the platform, right? So yeah. I think TikTok uh, to an extent is going in a similar direction in that a lot of the content um, seems uh, like very well produced to a point where like not everyone can do it. Okay, so example, uh, a couple months ago I was on TikTok and I just like randomly got a lot of videos um, in my feed of these women in gowns doing uh, backflips on a beach, like it was very specific, like kind of video. Wow. Okay. Yeah. One of them was doing a backflip in like stilettos. It must have been like four or five inches, which is like terrifying to think about. But th that's also something that I can't do. Right. It's like very showy. Um, most of them were Caucasian. It's like a very specific like kind of person. Okay. Um, Whereas I think in Douyin, my impression is that it was much more just like normal people. The videos are a lot more lo-fi. Um, I guess there's certain aspects of like Chinese humor in particular that maybe like can't be translated to um, like, you know, English or another Western uh, context. Uh, that's not unique to Douyin. That's just like in general, but I saw a lot of that on the app. Um, yeah, that, that, that was my impression. It was like much more, um, it, it wasn't as well produced and that was seen as like a selling point. Like you, you didn't have to like do these huge backflips or stunts or something. It was just like people being funny in everyday life, which yes, it does exist on TikTok, but I feel like what gets like highlighted a lot are these like very extravagant stunts or, yeah. or movements or something. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where you just can't look away. You know, it hooks mm -hmm, you, you go, mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. you know, and the one that always gets me is when you see in the description, it will say, wait for it or wait till the end and you see the first few seconds mm -hmm, and you're about mm -hmm, to swipe mm -hmm. down to the next video and you go, no, it looks like they're about to do this. I need to see if they actually do. Yeah. Um, right. It gets, it gets me every time I'll admit it. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, different countries, different cultures. I mean, I love seeing when some of them will appear on my feed and it will be somebody cooking and, and in a way that I've never seen you cook food before and the ingredients that they're using and, and the, how passionate they are about it. And I go, okay, this, this is cool. I would have never seen this in my life unless I traveled to that part of the world. Mm -hmm. I would have never mm -hmm. seen this with my own eyes, you mm -hmm. know? So it's in a way it can be educational. It can be an eye opener. It's, um, you know, we, I have, I don't want to say we as in everyone, but I certainly feel like uh, because of my phone, I have somewhat of a short attention span when I'm in these apps. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's nice that it's not just 
cute animals all day and things like that. There's a little bit right. of variety going in there. And I don't know if that's just me, um, but yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. And yeah. I, mean, I love the videos where you see an elderly person and they're the star, you know, their kids have put them mm -hmm, on camera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell everyone your favorite story. And there's a million people that have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's like anyone can have an audience. Yes, yes. It's yeah. very true. Yeah. Awesome. So um, we've talked we've talked a little about, we've talked a lot, but we've talked about what's uh, some of the developments this year. Do you have any predictions that you would like to share as to what you might, what we might see happening next, uh, perhaps even early 2020? Mm -hmm. next decade so yeah so i think so i laid out a couple like very loose ones in terms of like uh voice and podcast strategy kind of merging together in terms of like content that comes out um virtual entertainment now that people understand the concept being more and more of a thing um i think so something that i advocate for in my writing but i think is actually happening in the music industry is like blurring with other uh, industries in general. So like music and gaming companies are encroaching on each other's territory more and more. So like every major label basically has an esports partnership, for instance, right? Some labels have like esports driven subsidiaries, like labels that are signing artists catering to esports teams. Um, on the, in the other direction, you have game developers like Riot Games, um, behind League of Legends, launching these whole music groups, like their own K-pop group, hip-hop group, to promote the game, but they perform live in person at like their world championships. Like that is like a very significant entertainment play and music play from a gaming company. Um, I think we'll see more and more of that bi-directional collaboration next year, for sure. Um, other predictions. Okay, one, one thing I was reflecting on this year um, and I actually, I posed this as a question on Twitter and was surprised at the amount of engagement I got is, uh, increasing amount of ambiguity around who actually runs the music industry. So like you can have a debate around whether that's actually the right question to ask, but there have been a lot of events this year, um, suggesting that some person, that some aspect of the music industry runs everyone else. So a lot of people think that. Um, like publishers run the industry or like those who own valuable catalog um, run the industry, dictate how much artists get paid. Um, I think the best example of this is downtown music holdings acquiring CD mm. Baby, which I thought was interesting, yeah. right? A publisher acquiring one of the biggest independent distributors in the world. Um, Cobalt is continuing to grow and they started off as a publishing company, and but they also own AWOL, which fuels their publishing business. Um, and publishing also, you know, of course, dictates how music is incorporated into games, into films, into any other media. So there's that argument. Um, the whole Scooter Braun, Taylor Swift uh, debate suggests that it's managers who own the business, right? Because um, it's managers like Scooter Braun who are arguably in the best position to diversify and to in integrate vertically in a way that that's more nimble than a lot of other companies, right? So now Scooter Braun isn't just managing talent, he's managing, he's investing in tech companies. He's has his own label for artists on his management roster. And now he owns like a really valuable catalog because he built up all this money. So you can argue that's the managers. Um, 
Or you can argue that it's the tech companies, like maybe it's like companies like ByteDance that will own the music industry next year, or that, that will have the most power um, in terms of, in this case, in terms of owning distribution, like actually controlling the pipes, right, through which music is delivered to the right or the wrong person to listen to. So I just, this is like a very, again, very loose ended prediction, but I, I just think there'll be more and more of that uh, that activity that like challenges our assumptions around where the locus power actually is. Because I think at like different points in the year, you would say, oh yeah, it's like content is king. Um, mm. But wait, no, like tech is actually king. Um, and like distribution is king. Oh, maybe it's both. Uh, no, the artist should be king. Like artists are the reason why the industry exists. So th this debate will just keep going on. And I think they'll keep, uh, they'll continue to be events that blur the boundaries maybe between all these different players. Um, in a way that uh, makes that question more difficult to answer maybe, of like whether there's actually one person that, uh, it's not one person, one uh, sector of the music industry that um, holds more power or more value, et cetera, than, than everything else. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I feel like it's always going to be changing and everyone's gonna have a different opinion. I mean, I saw mm -hmm. uh, when you put the question out to everyone and the responses and, you know, people getting really passionate about it, and um, yeah, that convinced that they were they were correct. And um, yes, it is it is very much influenced by like your yeah. immediate. Like, of course, if you work in a label, I think you're gonna say the label. If you work in a publisher, of course, like you're not gonna say tech companies run the industry. Look, I'd love to say artists. Yeah. I'd love to say artists run the industry. I do, and they ideally, have the power, it's the artists. But... Yes. But they still need other people. Um, you of know, course. not every artist yeah. can do a hundred percent themselves. I mean, there's a lot of DIY artists out there, but they still go and pay money to a distributor to distribute their music. I mean, they're still yes. doing everything else themselves pretty much. Uh, they will do their own marketing and things like that. But yeah, there's all we everyone relies on somebody else. Uh, that's the crazy thing sure. about that's that's true. I guess that that's what this points to. It's like the 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 dependencies are like maybe even um, becoming even more tight knit, uh, maybe to the detriment in the future of one of these companies, right? Like if like if uh, Spotify were to uh, shut down next year, which I don't think is gonna happen at all, but like if they were to shut down, um, probably like Spotify accounts for I know like some artists for whom Spotify accounts for eighty percent of their income. So mm. what happens then, right? Um, are these users going to go to another streaming service necessarily? Um, like, what is the next steps after that? So yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Like, their features are much more interlinked to the point where it's like hard to just single out one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know, for all artists, I mean, you shouldn't be putting all of your all of your time and investing everything into one DSP, one store. Of course. I mean, yeah. Because like we said, you never know what could happen and you can't always mm -hmm. rely on it. You're not always going to get playlist support, editorial support. It's it's just, you have to accept that. There, there's gonna be times where you put a track out and it just doesn't connect with the audience for whatever reason. Uh, so it is important to put your effort and your energy into all of these platforms. And that's why, you know, anytime a new service like TikTok, the second that artists.tiktok Dot com went online, I signed up immediately. And surely enough, it's now offline uh, for anyone that's going to that website right now. So I'm not sure of the reason exactly, but I feel like there might be something that's coming. Um, 
But yes, artists.tiktok.com went offline a few weeks ago, I believe. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. Now, also, and Sherry, let me just add your add your face back in Hi there again. once again, oh, Sherry. Oh, sorry. Hi. Okay, I think because of my phone, um, every time I get, there's some like emergency alert being pushed and like push notifications. And then every time I like cancel that, for some reason, the mic uh, or like the headphones like turn off. Oh, interesting. Um, for me, so hey, yeah. It's but cool. I'm We're back. live? Yeah. <laughs> No problem. Yes. Um, you know, I was just I was just adding my little bit about um, TikTok for artists and how as I soon think, as yeah. anything like this becomes yeah. available, go in there and claim it. It's just like domain yeah. names. It's real estate. Sure. You want mm-hmm. yourname.com as soon as you can because it's the value is most likely going to go up. I mean, if you didn't have mm-hmm. sherryhoo.com, who knows how much you'd be paying for that right now. <laughs> I've, I've seen it happen with companies where... it's $800 for myname.com. I don't want to pay that two years Mm -hmm, later. mm -hmm, Oh, mm -hmm. I had to pay $25,000 to get it uh, Mm -hmm. because obviously my company's doing really well and they Mm -hmm. wanted a piece of that. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the same. All these services go in there. You know, if, if something similar to TikTok launches tomorrow and there's a music component and you're an artist, just sign up, claim an account. And then mm-hmm. you know you may delete it, but you may come back to it if if it gets if it gets more popular. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess okay. On that note, another thing that I hope to see more of is um, artists, or I guess musicians. Um, I guess experimenting with different ways of telling their story in their music. So I met with um, an artist, for instance, who um, makes like like pretty good electronic music but sorry but it's also really into comics and he worked with a comic artist to make a comic um book around his album that's available only to people who I guess like pre-save the album ahead of time or if you follow him on Spotify I guess he did a direct partnership with Spotify where um he was able to build that like on, on the technical side uh I know like there's another artist called Umi who released her EP episodically, quote unquote, is how she put it. And she like released a short film that was a hybrid, um, like live action slash anime film, like four minutes long to go with each song. And then she did that week after week and then dropped the whole EP um, all at once. And that was uh, super impactful in terms of like driving engagement, um, and just fan interest in, in her music. So I look forward to seeing more of that, like more, Way, interesting ways to experiment with stories, more ways of breaking the rules or like breaking the mold of what you normally do. Um, and yeah, t- TikTok is an interesting way to do that. Although uh, I think there, I think part of the value of music that blows up on TikTok is like the, the more hands-off decentralized nature of it. Like you never know what's going to go viral. Like uh, yeah. I guess the piece of advice <laughs> that has not changed over the past couple of years, it's like, it's really hard to, build a music strategy around virality like yeah. virality is not a strategy right it's if anything it's uh it's like the cherry on top or maybe a hazard because it could you know uh completely impact or cha- like completely change or like alter your the marketing plan that you had in place so um yeah i feel like i feel like tiktok is if it's t- tiktok can be good and bad for that reason but yeah i guess in short 
looking forward to more interesting types of stories that, that maybe come along with these new formats like virtual entertainment, um, virtual concerts, voice, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I'm glad you said that going viral, that can't be your plan. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. most of the time, I mean, yeah, okay. There's some cases where it was planned, but they didn't know how quickly it was going to happen or at what level it was mm. going to go viral. Um, mm. Whereas most of the time, when people go viral, let's say they post a tweet. You, it's funny, you'll see it, they'll post it, and then they have nothing else to say. They, 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 yeah. they haven't created yep. the product. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing that they have to sell. They're, they're just, they're happy that people engaged with their post mm -hmm. and um, you know appreciated whatever they said or enjoyed their joke, and um, they weren't ready for it. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm with an artist, it's safe to say that you're prepared that if 100,000 people start following you tomorrow, you've probably got something else for them. You know, mm. you can go live mm. and start playing your music yeah. to them now. You've got yeah. an audience, so hold on to them while you can. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really funny. Uh, some, of the, some of the stories that I've seen where people have gone viral and they, they had no intentions of going viral. They just mm. wanted to make a statement and now everybody's yeah. talking about them and creating yeah. hashtags for them and they're trending. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've had a you've had a, a few moments where you've started to go viral, I've seen. I I believe there was one it was semi viral. Yeah. Semi I wouldn't characterize it as like totally viral. What are you thinking of exactly? I believe it was the one, I could be wrong, but I believe it was the one with the hands clapping, which looks like hands slapping. And it was a, a playlist <laughs> is not a marketing plan. Was it that one? Or was oh, it, it was, I don't think there are any clap claps actually, but it was like playlist placement is an artist development, that tweet. Yeah, that, that yes. was it. Yeah. Yes. I can't, I can't remember if that was this year or end of last year, but yeah, that was definitely my most viral. It was a very niche viral moment, which is why I'm like, uh, hesitant to call it viral because it was like viral within, I guess, the artist slash like music industry community. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was interesting because yeah, that's something I tweeted. I guess I tweeted that as I do a lot of other tweets because I like knew it was something people were talking about, but just mm. have not publicly said, even though they all agree on it. And like, it's not gonna ruin anyone's day. It's just like a truth that um, a lot of people don't realize. Like with all the hype around playlisting. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think people actually have less of that. Well, I guess you're in, deeply involved in the playlist world, so you, you can probably speak, uh, more in a more informed way on this, but I feel like there isn't as much hype around, um, the power of playlisting alone to like sustain an artist's career. Like I think Hardly. a lot, there's a lot more awareness, yeah, that like playlists are, important for driving streams which drives revenue so that's important but it's just one aspect of what should ultimately be a much more well-rounded out um marketing plan yeah absolutely yeah. and it's it's funny every time i speak now wh wherever it is i almost feel like i need to have a disclaimer i have to go hey i'm only yeah. going to talk about playlists because uh -huh. that's what I know best. And that's mm -hmm. that's what you came here to hear me talk to you about. But you need to know that that should not be your entire marketing plan. You should not mm -hmm. base your career on getting on playlists. I'm mm -hmm. going to give you as much information as I can. 
but don't expect to just make a living being on playlists. I mean, mm-hmm, it could mm-hmm. happen, but there's no guarantees of that. So I'm just going to teach yeah. what I know. And I, yeah. I have to do that whole spiel every time now. And um, yeah. But it's funny because pe- I've had people come up to me and go, what have you got against radio? What have you got against uh, YouTube mm. and music videos? And I go, nothing mm-hmm. at all. Nothing. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> you know, you, you want to talk right. about merchandise? I'm not your guy, but I know how valuable yeah. that is. Uh, here's yeah. five other people that you should talk to about merch mm. and definitely mm-hmm. listen to what they have to say. So, mm. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up um, mm. because that's it. I mean, every, everyone, you know, everyone needs to know that playlists are not, the the entire strategy for your release i mean yeah. they're not even really part of it it's just you have the work that you have to do and you put aside the time and you do that and then you go on to the next thing based on your release mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you go from there it's you don't just submit to a few playlists and sit back and go well i'm done right by right. no means because because you have no basically little to no control over that um over that aspect of marketing yeah it's definitely it's better to spend a lot more time on things you can control things you where you have full transparency over like how much money is being spent um who you're who you're reaching like through advertising or just like even on youtube and yeah, yeah things like that yeah very cool so um, yeah. we've shared some predictions and we've talked about this year uh what can you share about what's coming up with you because i i know this has been as we mentioned at the start a bit of a roller coaster of a year i've seen you traveling mm-hmm. all around the world meeting all kinds of people and speaking at various conferences and events. Um, is there anything coming up that you can share where people may be able to see or hear from you in 2020? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not an event, but I'm um, spending much of next year working on a book. So I have um, an official deal, which is great for a book about the intersection of music and startup culture. So like how, tech entrepreneurship and music entrepreneurship, like independent artists, especially, how they've influenced each other and how that impacts pop culture in general, how that impacts the type of music that we see coming out and how it's made and marketed. Um, so I'm spending a lot of time researching that and I'll post a lot about that in my newsletter, I think, and on my Patreon page as well. Um, I actually don't have any travel uh, until maybe South by Southwest, we'll see. Mm. Um, I might be going there and um, I'm also probably going to be at this music festival slash conference called Tree Fort Music Fest, which is in Boise. Um, I've never been to Idaho uh, at all. So that should be an interesting experience. And I think it's like catered more towards independent artists as well. Cool. So, yeah, very excited for that. Uh, aside from that, uh, it's the, the next year is like totally open. I find with a lot of this travel, it's difficult for me to like have a clear idea of where I'm going to be uh, like more than five, six months in advance. But uh, I definitely want to travel a lot for my book just to interview people. Like I, I want to make it as international and global as possible. So I still have to do a little bit of planning around that. Like one, which which artists um, will be willing to speak with me and then um, plan around there. So I'll, pro- I'll definitely be in LA probably a couple times next year. Um, I hope to go to Europe. My I, Berlin has been like on the top of my bucket list for a really, really long time. Um, and I think I'll be going there towards like the fall like late summer early fall so no exact like date yet but yeah in terms of travel those those are the places that come to mind for me so yeah aside from that still writing um 
yeah, you can find my work on my newsletter. I'll be on Twitter a lot still. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the mini was just be continuation of the work that I'm doing that I've been doing this year. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, in in the interest of time, we might start wrapping this up. Otherwise, I know we could talk mm -hmm. all day and uh yeah. i i don't that's never a bad thing but uh <laughs> i do know that we do have a few other things we have to get off and take care of today i just want to post up some links to your website firstly so people can of course mm -hmm. go and check out thank you yeah because from there it's it's central you've got links to you mentioned the water and music podcast and newsletter mm -hmm. uh links to uh various pieces that you've written as well uh and then social media, is it okay if I put your handle up on the screen here as well? Of course, yeah, yeah. for, yeah, so it's sherryhoo42 for cool. um, Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah. Perfect, excellent. So we've got sherryhoo42 on Twitter and Instagram and all the links and all the information at sherryhoo.com. Sherry, mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks I know how busy you me. are. Yeah. I, I feel like every time I see you, it's it's in another city, and it's just like, oh hey, Sherry. Without even <laughs> That's realizing, true. it's always at a different we're in conference. another city at the same time. It's yeah. just you're yeah. very well traveled this year. It's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, this is um, super interesting. I, I want to revisit this this time next year to see, I guess, how uh, how on the nose you were or not. I guess we'll find yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> well, if this gets deleted, you'll realize we weren't on the nose. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll leave it up. We'll leave right. it up. It's um. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun sharing these predictions and seeing how close you were and where you were surprised as well. So, yeah, I look forward to that conversation and no doubt many more conversations before then as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you, Sherry.